0: Welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Bridget Connery, coming to you from the dialed studio at Hula on the shores of beautiful Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. In today's episode, we're going to take a quick look back at the key cannabis stories in 2022, both here at home in Vermont and the industry at large. We definitely made some progress last year, but we also endured some setbacks. No surprise there. Stay tuned to learn how our recent history will shape the landscape moving forward for consumers, businesses, and policymakers alike. Welcome back and Happy New Year once again. 2023, here we come. But before we get rolling, let's look back at 2022 and the stories and events that will impact our industry moving forward. It has been a minute since we last reported on the market here in Vermont. Obviously, the biggest story in 2022 is that we finally launched the adult use marketplace. On October 1st, three retail stores opened their doors for business. We recently received the first sales numbers for that month from the CCB. million. On this amount, the Department of Taxation collected just over $329,000 in excise tax and $144,000 in sales tax. By state law, if needed, some of this excise tax revenue will be used to shore up any deficits in the CCB's annual budget. Of the remainder, 70% will be distributed to the General Fund and 30% to the Substance Abuse and Prevention Fund, which is overseen by the Department of Health. The sales tax collected will fund after-school and summer learning programs, a request of Governor Scott that was added to S-54, the bill to regulate and tax cannabis sales, passed back in 2020. The CCB expects to see higher sales numbers moving forward because more retail stores have opened, 25 in total as of January 1st, and more cultivators and manufacturers have successfully brought their products to market. According to the CCB website, as of January 4th, A total of 349 businesses have been licensed across all categories. As Kai Risdahl likes to say, let's do the numbers. Let's start with how many of these licensed businesses fit into the two categories that were prioritized during the application process. 50 of the 349 are classified as social equity. That is about 14%. And another 64 are in the economic empowerment category, or approximately 18%. Definitions of these categories can be found on the CCB website. 271 of the licenses are cultivators, indoor, outdoor, or mixed. 78% of these are Tier 1, the smallest-sized operations, which set a limit for total plant canopy at 1,000 square feet. This underscores Vermont's initiative to support small craft growers. 31 are manufacturers, and 25% of these are Tier 1, which are defined as home-occupancy businesses, with no more than one employee and under $10,000 in gross annual revenue. This tier is unique to Vermont, so let's put it into perspective. I just paid $40 for a 10-count package of caramels with a total of 50 milligrams of THC at a retail store in Montpelier. If we assume that the wholesale price for this package was keystoned at $20, That means that if this product came from a Tier 1 manufacturer, they could only sell 500 of these units into the market over the course of a year. That's tiny when we're talking scale, and the price reflects that. Many shoppers focus on the price per milligram of THC when they are making product decisions. In this example, the price per milligram is quite expensive at 80 cents. It will be interesting to see if or how long consumers are willing to pay this price, especially when they can travel to Massachusetts and buy a 100 milligram THC chocolate bar of comparable quality for $15. That is equivalent to 15 cents per milligram of THC and is one-fifth the cost per milligram of my caramel purchase. We want to support small businesses in Vermont, yet we know that the costs of doing business in this industry are high. It will be difficult for businesses at the tier one level to compete. They're going to have to be smart about the products they create and that their margins make sense so that their retail pricing is in alignment with consumer expectations. If they're going to charge more, they better be beating the competition on quality. Moving on, three lab testing facilities have been licensed in the state. Two of these are operational and capable of providing all of the required analytical tests. This limited number of labs is definitely contributing to delays in product getting to market. We heard from Carrie Jagir, the CCB's Director of Compliance, in last week's interview that another cannabis-centric lab will be coming online in the near future. Eight wholesalers. That's all I have to say about them for now. We believe wholesalers are going to play a key role, though, in the market as it develops. On to the retailers. Thirty-four of them are currently licensed, and as previously noted, 25 of these are currently open. Nellie Marvel, outreach and education manager for the CCB, recently stated in the press that she expects four more to be coming online in the next month or so. And finally, two of the three vertically integrated medical cannabis licenses have opted in to the adult use market. Grassroots Vermont, located in Brandon, has decided against entering the new marketplace. Word on the street is that they are in the process of being purchased. The buyers will most likely be looking to take this vertical license into adult use. All right, that's it for the numbers. What else is happening in Vermont. Well, the biggest news is that in December, the CCB released its report to the legislature recommending the removal of the 60% potency cap on solid concentrates. This is good news. As long as the potency cap exists, high-potency products like shatter and wax will remain in the illicit market in Vermont, without the safeguards provided by the regulated market. The cap also encourages consumers to shop for these products in nearby states that do regulate them, like Maine and Massachusetts. This takes an important revenue stream away from our retailers, as well as tax revenue for our state budget. The cap was originally inspired by fears of misuse and abuse, a valid point. In order to assuage these fears and to promote public safety, the CCB would like the removal of the cap to be accompanied by the following. One, the authorization of consumer education campaigns and youth prevention programs. two. A dedication of a portion of the revenue at the department of health for substance misuse prevention programs to fund these programs and three to make public health information including safe dosage guidelines readily available it is now up to the legislature to act on this recommendation and to change the law the ccb has done its homework here and our fingers are crossed that we see a win on this one in 2023 in another important development The CCB is recommending that the 92% tax on e-cigarettes exclude cannabis products. This tax is currently inflating the price on vape cartridges here in Vermont, making them uncompetitive with the illicit market and regulated markets in nearby states. The tax is not applied to vape cartridges in the medical cannabis program. Finally, the CCB is taking over the hemp program from the Department of Agriculture in 2023. They are required to report how they will regulate this market to the legislature by January 15th. They reviewed their goals, draft guidelines, fee structures, and oversight responsibilities, among other topics, in a board meeting on December 21st. Here are some key highlights. The CCB will no longer regulate hemp cultivators. This will fall to the USDA. They will limit intoxicating hemp products to the adult use in medical markets, and as such, they will be subject to the same testing and public health requirements and product registration. These products are now defined as a consumable product with one milligram or greater of total THC per serving, or with more than 10 milligrams of total THC per package. Full-spectrum tinctures, capsules, and salves with up to 1.5 milligrams of THC per serving and a ratio of CBD to THC of 20 to one or greater will be considered non-intoxicating, and will remain under the regulation of the hemp program. And finally, intoxicating consumable hemp products with one milligram or greater of synthetic cannabinoids, like Delta-8-THC, will only be allowed through the adult use in medical cannabis markets and subject to their regulation. These changes and others will have a big impact on some of the hemp businesses that are currently licensed through the Department of Agriculture. We will discuss this with a licensed hemp operator in an upcoming episode. Before we pivot away from Vermont, we checked in with Callie Chapman, the lab director and founding partner of Steep Hill, Vermont, one of the two cannabis analytical labs currently operational in the state. She gave us this update on what they learned in 2022 and how they are investing in 2023 to spur growth and to support the emerging market.
1: Hi, Bridget. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here and talk with you. Uh, It just seems so crazy that we're already reflecting back on 2022. It has no doubt been a wild ride for the Steep Hill Vermont team so far. Yeah, as I'm sure many of our customers and colleagues feel as well, it's just, you know, year one of a startup and an emerging industry is, you know, it's a little bit of the wild, wild west. We are really excited to be kicking off 2023 and to be be able to provide some testing services to the Vermont cannabis community. Uh, we're definitely starting to look as a business where we are going to be investing kind of our our money and our resources and our time and to really growing into the testing lab that we aim to be. You know, for us, it's, it's sort of interesting. What we bring to the cannabis industry in our first year is, is actually not an expertise in cannabis, but actually an expertise in regulated industries. The majority of our team is coming out of FDA uh, regulated industries, whether it's pharmaceuticals or topical skincare, coming out of analytics labs as well, but on the pharmaceutical side. Um, So where we know we need to grow and kind of catch up is actually our cannabis knowledge so that we can really pair the two, our regulatory backgrounds and then, you know, cannabis science and expertise. So looking out at 2023, um, we're actually going to be investing the most is in continuing education and continuing improvement of our staff. So really looking for key partnerships, kind of there's these, you know, many of us know them, these Cannabis geniuses that are out there, um, and many of them are actually our customers, and finding those collaborative partnerships where we can share our knowledge with them and they're willing to share it with us so that overall we can result in a successful lab that both has, you know, the cannabis expertise as well as the analytics expertise. Outside of that, this is probably, you know, no surprise to the cannabis industry, but. The most demanded test is potency. So we will probably be, you know, investing in some equipment there to increase our capacity for that test specifically, as well as just, you know, looking at the broader vision, you know, where are we headed? How are we going to be a sustainable business? Not just in year one and two, but really, you know, looking out to year five and seven. You know, when there's federal legalization, what does that look like? So definitely the focus for 2023 is Continuing education, cannabis knowledge, those key partnerships, and really just you know catching up with our customers, you know building that tribal knowledge and skill set um, that we really need to service this community correctly. Yeah, we're excited, we're eager, and uh, we're we're definitely humble. And we're learning a lot. It's a very steep learning curve for us, as I'm sure it is for many others. Um, and we're just we're really looking for that collaboration. The more the entire industry can stick together, the more I think we're all going to be successful in moving forward. We strongly believe at Steep Hill Vermont that the way to move science forward is to share your expertise with others and bring everyone up together. So that's definitely going to be our mission in this next year. And yeah, we're excited and we wish everyone well. We're we're ready to do this. We're ready to put Vermont
0: cannabis on the map. Thank you, Callie. Sounds like investment in education and R&D is where it's at. Congratulations on opening Steep Hill this past year, and best of luck to you and your team as you navigate this new marketplace. Let's take a short break. When we return, we will do some quick hits on the top cannabis stories nationwide. the industry at large. It was a big year for cannabis policy at the state and federal levels of government. At the top of the list sits the three states that enacted laws legalizing adult use cannabis marketplaces and possession. Maryland, Missouri, and Rhode Island. We spoke to these achievements back in episode six. With these three states coming online, we now have 21 states and close to half of the U.S. population with access to a legal cannabis marketplace. On December 29th, at 4.20 p.m., the first legal cannabis sale in New York State took place at Housing Works, a nonprofit in Manhattan's East Village. All proceeds will fund their mission to secure housing, health care, and vocational training for New Yorkers, many of whom have suffered under the war on drugs. Hundreds of people lined up to be part of the historic event. Product was limited, as it was here in Vermont, with a handful of brands making it to market. New York City is set to become one of the largest cannabis markets in the world, and a game-changer when it comes to brand development and customer experience. It should be noted, however, that New York faces the same problem as many other states, a robust illicit market that continues to operate in plain sight. On Housing Works opening day, an illegal storefront was ringing up sales just one block away, and the drug free-for-all that is Washington Square Park was conducting business as usual. It will be hard for licensed operators to compete, especially with New York's high tax rates, which includes taxing based on milligram or percent of THC. The average eighth of flour is selling for around $75. Not sustainable. We'll be watching to see how New York handles the situation moving forward. On the flip side, Massachusetts sees its first retail store permanently closed since the market opened in 2018. The store, The Source Plus was based in Northampton, a city of 30,000 residents with quite a bit of foot traffic from the students and staff of the five colleges located in and around town. At one point, Northampton had up to 12 retail stores, a situation we may see repeated here in Burlington. Industry leaders in Massachusetts cited oversupply and plummeting prices as the main factors. According to the news outlet Boston.com, The average price for a gram of flour reached an all-time low in October at $7.76. That is almost half off from the $14 gram back in June of 2021. Vermont businesses should be paying attention to these trends as they are not limited to Massachusetts, and lower prices will entice price-sensitive shoppers over the border. Speaking of prices, in 2022... The cannabis industry was left relatively untouched by the inflation that has affected most other goods and services. In fact, cannabis prices have been coming down due to oversupply, increased competition, efficiencies created by large operators, and the pressures of a still-thriving illicit market. According to the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center, 2022 was the first year that any state recorded a decline in tax revenue from cannabis sales and it occurred in five with relatively mature markets. At the federal level, we witnessed two rare occasions that bode well for the future. In October, President Biden issued pardons for simple cannabis possession charges. At the same time, he encouraged governors to do the same at the state level. Since then, we have seen mass pardons in states such as Oregon, Colorado, and Connecticut that bring the total number of pardons and expungements in 2022 to over 100,000. President Biden also signed the first cannabis-specific piece of legislation loosening prohibition in over 50 years. This law, among other actions, eases the process for clinical cannabis trials and drug development and tasks specific government agencies with assessing cannabis' status as a Schedule I drug. We talked about this in Episode 3. We can't talk about White House action on cannabis without mentioning the Brittany Griner case. Brittany is a WNBA star who was detained in Russia back in February for traveling with vape cartridges that contained less than one gram of cannabis oil. Cannabis is strictly prohibited in Russia, with severe penalties for violations. In the WNBA off season, Brittany plays professional basketball in a Russian league, which pays her $1 million per season, much more than she earns here at home. That is a topic for another day. Don't even get me started on the gender gap in pay that exists in professional sports here in the U.S. Brittany pleaded guilty to the charges, acknowledging that it was an honest mistake and that she used cannabis legally in the U.S. to manage pain. She was later sentenced to nine years in prison. Her detention and prosecution were widely seen as politically motivated due to the rising tensions caused by the war in Ukraine. President Biden was able to secure her release through a prisoner swap in early December. She was exchanged for a convicted arms dealer that was serving a 25-year sentence here in the U.S. It is a complicated situation for sure, and the emotions and opinions surrounding it were on full view in the press and in social media threads. Unfortunately, Brittany was used as a political pawn by Russia's President Vladimir Putin. True to form, he chose someone that would rattle the current political and cultural divides that exist in the U.S., a BIPOC gay woman celebrity who consumes cannabis. This caused many on both ends of the political spectrum to rise up, call foul, and to either criticize or applaud the Biden administration for the swap. In the bigger picture regarding cannabis, it highlighted the fact that we have our own work still to do at home, where thousands of Americans remain imprisoned for low-level, nonviolent cannabis crimes. At the legislative level, the Safe Banking Act failed to make any progress. Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky continues to be a roadblock for this piece of much-needed legislation. It has passed the House of Representatives many times over. This means that capital will continue to be hard to come by for the entrepreneurs looking to enter the industry and for current operators looking to grow their business. It also leaves cannabis retail stores as targets for theft, as many remain cash-only businesses. To add salt to the wound, Many retailers lost access to their debit card processing services on December 5th, when some of the largest processors of ATM transactions cut off cashless ATM service providers from utilizing this technology. According to Bloomberg News, it is estimated that about a quarter of all cannabis sales have historically flowed through these systems. It is unknown at this time if the service will be coming back or if innovators will find a new technology as a workaround. Until then, some stores offer ACH transfer services like Duchy Pay or AeroPay, and cash remains Queen. All right, we need to end this episode on a high note. According to Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, a record number of scientific papers about cannabis were published in 2022. Over 4,300 were published last year, up from just over 4,200 in 2021. Also good news is that much of these studies are focused on the therapeutic benefits of cannabis. This is a big shift from years past when studies were performed to prove the potential negative effects of cannabis in order to support the narrative that cannabis has no accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. These studies were often funded by NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse. So high five to the medical community and the scientific researchers of the world for leaning into plant-based medicine and providing more evidence that cannabis does indeed have therapeutic benefit. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks go out to my creative crew at High Fidelity, Olaf Willoughby and Shane Lynn, and to the team at Syntax in Motion for producing this show. A special shout out to Will Davis, my sound engineer. Thanks to you for listening to us today. If you enjoy what you heard, subscribe on our website, highfivt.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Better yet, like, share, rate, or leave a comment. You can request topics or interviews for our show by emailing us at com. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, be well and have fun out there.